What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com Non-rock-a-boatus must stop I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. (laughs) She hung up on me. What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got got a bit of a jiggle neck. (laughs) That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, y'all. It's pretty good. I like that. Right. It's it's awesome. It's pretty good. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Gospel Heard Around the World. This is Apologia Radio. You guys can get us, of course, at ApologiaRadio.com. That's where you guys go to get all the past episodes. You guys can go get the television show, The After Show, Apologia Academy. And I want to let you guys know about something uh, coming soon. And I mean... Soon, soon, we are going to have the NSA lectures. That's 20 college lectures uh, coming up soon to Apologia All Access. You are going to have your minds blown. You got stuff on Christianity and mathematics and how mathematics isn't even possible. Apart from the biblical worldview, it will blow your mind. Uh, Douglas Wilson. Marcus, who else? Oh, tell me tell me the, the list of gentlemen we have uh, that, are, that did the lectures for us. I uh, have... Yeah, uh... Um, we have uh, Chris Schleck who did this amazing uh, lecture on how uh, feminism came out of 1950s Campbell Soup commercials wow that's really great and he brings that back to women ordination and we have uh, Macintosh who gave mm-hmm. a presentation on the philosophy of God uh, as God as an actor, um, as someone who who acts in the world and how that relates to like economics and, and all sorts of other things and government. And then wh- what else do we have? Douglas Wilson did Douglas one on Wilson Christian Wilson worldview. Douglas worldview Merkel. is amazing. Doug Wilson's just, he goes through like all the things that's required to have a worldview. Yeah. And how Christians are the only ones that have like a complete 
he calls it the worldview wheel and and every other religion uh is missing spokes but christians are the only ones that have the full spokes on the wheel nice and so that is amazing and then uh ben Merkel did the trinity uh, like three classes on the trinity mm. just the nature of the trinity and there's a lot more. Hi, highly relevant, oh, highly oh, relevant oh. for today's show, by the way. The yeah, Trinity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you have uh, the the guy whose name I can't ever remember, but he's amazing. The the uh, apologist guy. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Now I, I can't. No, I need remember to know his name. You, you messed me up. I know, and now it's like completely distracted. But he's well, great. Okay, so we're gonna have <laughs> all those lectures up on all access. So here's what you do, guys. You know you hear us talking about it all the time, and I want to thank everybody that's partnering with us for All Access. You make everything possible, the radio show, the the stuff we put out online to go out to the ends of the earth in defense of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. Um, but what you do is you sign up for All Access and you donate. It's just $7.95 a month. When you donate, you get all the All Access content, the TV shows, the after shows, the academy you have the apologetic stuff that we have up there with Dr. White and myself. You have John Sampson's stuff. You have all these lectures from NSA that are going up very, very soon. It's Mitch Stokes. Mitch Stokes. There Mitch you go. Stokes. He's, he's, he's Mitch a genius. Stokes. Mitch Stokes. He's a genius. Mitch Stokes. And he talks Mitch about... Mitch Stokes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he's Mitch Stokes. He's a damaged, beautiful man. <laughs> I, like how he, I like how he tries to save himself a little. He's like, I forget his name, but we really love uh, him. Yeah, we yeah. really <laughs> love him. He's a wonderful man. He did. He talks about God and math. He says God is one plus one is two. Yeah. I wish so this math nothing. segment had come out like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> 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 so there's nothing on the national security? We're not talking about the NSA, the corrupt, oh. the corrupt bureaucrats. We're talking about those who teach about Jesus. It's good. And math. And math. <laughs> Mathematics. I don't know, it's almost like, how do you actually like, I know it sounds weird, like, hey guys, sign up for, <laughs> sign up for all access to do math. <laughs> it's, trust me, it's, it's good. <laughs> trust me. Well, well Austin likes my, math. My son's over there going, yeah. Austin loves Austin. Like, why would anybody sign up? Why would that be a selling point? Austin, like, right. Austin is actually mad he's on the show because he has a math exam to study. That's a fact. <laughs> it, what a sad gotta life. Gotta take it at three. They have calculators, you know. So, um, so okay. Sure. So to my right is uh, Luke the Bear Pearson, Hi. wearing a Dr. Greg Bonson T-shirt. It's wonderful. You can't miss it. It's bright red. It looks like um, I've worn that shirt, and people thought I was wearing uh, what's the guy's name? Kids show. Mr. Rogers. They're like, oh, Mr. Oh, Rogers. Really? I'm like, no, that's Dr. Greg Bonson. Who's Greg Bonson? Hmm. So now I just go, yeah, it's Mr. Rogers. <laughs> a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Also, I have my son, Sage, in the studio. What's up, Sage? Hi. What's up? What's up? And also, I have to my left, we have Austin. Hello. Does he have a nickname yet? This, if this is Austin, I still love I like the way you're looking at me with that song on. <laughs> So um, Austin, I've been calling him Coldstone Steve Austin. Coldstone <laughs> Steve Austin. We got Marcus Pippen on the ones and twos back from his trip to Canvas, the Canvas conference by Humblebeast. It was amazing, amazing stuff. I went too. Uh, yeah, went too. Austin went as well. So did Gabe. <laughs> uh, and well, what do you think about ten minute lectures, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> that's my prayer, man. That's it was, like <laughs> it was. It was fantastic. They had like over twenty or more people. And it was like a TED Talk. So everybody just came up 
they either did a spoken word or they they did like a, l- a little mini lesson and it was just fan- it was just constantly moving. It was fantastic. It was good. great. Good. I'd love to hear about it. It was in arts and theology. We, we have also a very special guest in the studio that has traveled a long way to sit in this studio. I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. He is from Australia, mate. G'day, mates. How are you going? All right. That's awesome. And go ahead and tell everyone your name. Uh, so my name is... Uh, I'll put my hand on my heart. Wait, is that the Australian National Anthem? That's what it says. Is it? It is true. Do you know the, do you know the lyrics? Yes. I'm not going to sing that. Okay. okay. That was really interesting. He put his left hand over his heart. Did you see that? Did he? Yeah. It's because it's like the water goes the wrong way you put the other hand over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, introduce yourself, sir. Hey, I'm uh, Joel Brinning. Um, yeah, I'm from Australia, Western Australia, the... The most isolated state in the world. Yeah. So, and, and specifically Perth. 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 The most isolated city in the world. Really? It takes me 26 or 27 hours to get to America. Which no is, kidding. It's like running a marathon. I have to go to Australia at the end of the year. Are you telling me it's going to take that long? It'll take you probably 20 hours because you don't have to travel the other no. four hours to get to the other side kidding. of the country. No uh, kidding. How long is the flight from Australia to like LA? Is that what it is? Uh, it's twelve and a half hours. Oh goodness! All right. It's like Japan. It's not that flight's not that uh, bad. I'm gonna bring my Kindle. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. You went to the Canvas concert, and then you decided to take a trip to Phoenix to come and come to Apologia Church. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Praise God. Do you wow. guys realize we have actually like a really really big. Uh, base of uh, supporters and partners and uh, fans of the ministry uh, in Australia. Down under. Yeah. And New Zealand. Wow. I, I will say, like, there's plenty more where I came from. Yeah. 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 That, that's what's really crazy is, like, Australia, it's like, it, like, people are announcing, like, Dr. White and I are going to be in Australia and New Zealand, and, like, people just, like, flooding, like, oh, my goodness, praise God, that's so cool. And I'm like, wow, Australia, mate. Cool. Have you ever <laughs> fought don't... a kangaroo? Uh, I've come pretty close one time. Nice. So you've seen yeah. actual kangaroos. Yeah. And are they really aggressive? Uh, they can be, but most of the time when you see them, they're either way off in the distance or they're roadkill. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Well, that'd be a sight. That's so crazy. You're a real shame. And they really have those pockets they carry their babies in. They really yeah, they do. have those pockets. They really got like those Austin pockets. Like shirt. That's not a joke. <laughs> All right. So, uh, speaking of jokes, uh, I just play... Some of you guys probably saw the uh, recent thing from the comedian John Christ, who's done just stuff. He always does stuff uh, busting on on church and Christian uh, rock music and Christian music in general. Oh, my gosh. Is this the Christian music thing? No, no. That's something different. But he did one recently. It just made the rounds. It went viral um, on, like, Christian music executives signing Christian artists on. And, And I felt really, really confident. Actually, when Sage... Uh, was with me when we went to the Bonson conference and I was really, really encouraged to hear David Bonson, Dr. Greg Bonson's son, say that Greg Bonson absolutely despised Christian music. I officially felt relieved, like, okay, it's not just me that, you know, cannot stand uh, the Christian radio station. Uh, all the songs sound the same. Anyways, John Christ did this spoof on it and it was just fantastic if you haven't seen it go find it uh but this is him talking about prayer i just thought it was funny and uh this since it's apology radio we're gonna play it so here we go i try man i tried i see unchristian thoughts just sneak in i don't know where they come from me and tim we don't know where they come from you ever been in the church lobby somebody asks you to pray for something so stupid you're just like i ain't praying for that <laughs> 
I ain't even gonna write that one down. Uh-uh. <laughs> my buddy asked me the other day, he said, pray for my son, he's in the finals of a karate tournament. Excuse me, what do you want me to pray for? <laughs> Jesus, when, when Connor steps out onto that mat, would you just direct his foot to kick that child in the face? <laughs> <laughs> Direct his steps, Lord Jesus. Direct his steps. Would you just be the great physician that you are and render him unconscious? Like, <laughs> I don't know. What you, what you... <laughs> I don't know. Whoa, 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 whoa. There you go. I don't know if that's bad that I laughed at that, but uh, <laughs> I thought I it was thought great. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Calm, All right. Hey, so um, school is, is starting again, and homeschoolers are back in full effect, and other... Uh, children back in full effect with school so I, I my son's on today Sage and he's a he's a big history buff so I, I didn't even tell him really I didn't prepare him for this completely and so I just said I was asking him some history questions so I'm gonna go ahead and, and put my son to the test here and just throw out some random stuff you guys feel free to join in and let's see if we can get uh, we can get Sage to talk about some history stuff uh, so Sage what was the war in 1812 about what was that all what was what was the problem what the problem is by the way, I can only hear some of you because I don't have a headphone on. Okay, all right. What, what was the question? The question is, what was the war in 1812 about? France and England were both fight were fighting each other, so they wanted us to drag they want to drag us into it. So they both wanted us to shun the other one, and they got really upset that we wouldn't pick sides. So it's like a mom and dad are fighting, and they want you to pick. <laughs> Which one you want to still be friends with? What year was it in? 1812. <laughs> and that is correct. They're both upset. We wouldn't kind of ignore <laughs> and put tariffs on the other one and stop kind of talking to him. So they got really upset, and then Britain like kind of decided to reinvade. But we also and they reinvaded us. But we also kind of also invaded Canada at the same time because. Well, that's no problem. Anyway, yeah, um, that's, your, that's your opinion. <laughs> Nobody cares about Canada. I'm just kidding, Canadians. Calm down. We invaded them though. Yeah. Canada because they were still a part of Britain, so it was kind of like payback. Really? What did they when they came and invaded us? What kind of thing? At the same time. What did they do to us? Like when when Britain came over and, and invaded us. What 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 did they do? What That's when they burned down the White House. They burned down I the think. White House. That's crazy. They looted it. Despicable. Wow. Those British. That's when the president had to like run away and they set up, I think like they had like the government was like temporarily set up in like a post office, I think, somewhere. It was like the craziest thing. So how happened. did it how did it end? How did the conflict end? Uh it ended in Australia. I don't think it ended in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh it officially ended with a treaty and stuff, but there wasn't like cell phones back then, so you couldn't tell everybody like, okay, it's done. So like there was a massive battle and like, uh, I think it was New Orleans, even after the war was already over, they still had a massive battle because they couldn't tell everybody it was done yet, so they still kept fighting. <laughs> because they didn't even know it was over yet, but it was a big treaty and I think they kind of just gave up. So the war for independence, why did that happen? They left us alone for too long, and we kind of started to like being alone on our what own. What were they fighting for? Well, the French and Indian War ended, and after the French and Indian War, they kind of like just left us alone for almost 30 whole years, and then they kind of show up back one day, and they're like, okay, we want to like 
be the boss again. Mm. So then they put a bunch of different taxes on things that everybody used then, and it made everybody very upset. And, and then we kind of about, about at what level were we taxed at that point? About at what level do you remember? Like three percent, I think. Started a war over three percent tax, <laughs> and not even income tax. Did you hear that? Not even income tax. It wow. didn't exist yet. It 3%. was just. Three percent on uh, what was it on imports? Uh, tea, tea. Yeah, like sugar, stamps, mm-hmm. sugar, right? I think sugar, sure, yeah. But stamps were a big thing. Like every single, like all the paper had to have a stamp on it. You from- did three percent tax on a stamp? <laughs> I get my gun. Get my gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, what has happened to us, soldiers? Right. They didn't want British soldiers to be in, in, well, it wasn't called the United States then, but they didn't want British soldiers to be in towns in America. Mm. So they got upset. Fantastic. There you have it. That's, there, there you go. Spoken from, that's Sage. And uh, that's sage, a little sage. That's a little advertisement for the, more you know. the King's <laughs> Meadow. Uh, right, no, King's, King's Meadow Study Center, Dr. George Grant. Uh, he's he's amazing. Who will one day be on the show? That's right. We've had him on before. It was a fantastic show. <laughs> it was so long ago. I don't remember. But he's he's like chase. He's like trying to like get a bunch of herd of cats together. It just <laughs> doesn't work to slip through your fingers. Um, all right, guys. So here's what we're gonna do today. Um, we're gonna take just a, a quick break. Uh, we just open up here. We we'll take a quick break. We we'll come back, and we're gonna have on uh, my good buddy Dr. Edward Dalcour. Uh, we've had him on the show before. Um, he is one of my favorites. Uh, he is somebody that I go to when I need help. Uh, so I, uh, he has just tons of really fantastic resources. There are some fantastic lectures and things online on YouTube you can go to, Dr. Edward Delcour, and even, uh, I think, debates, plural, or there's at least one up there with um, a Muslim. Uh, but uh, Edward Delcour is somebody that I go to for... Um, uh, equipping, uh, particularly in this area, this is an area of specialty for Dr. Ed- Dr. Edward Dalcour, uh, the oneness theology. If you guys have been listening to Apologia Radio over the last couple of weeks, you have caught the episode we did where we actually responded to Marcus Rogers' uh, initial video he recently did um, attacking the Trinity. Uh, he addressed it to Dr. James White. That video disappeared, so thankfully we were able to review the video um, before it disappeared from them internets. Uh, but he did another video in response to Dr. James White. Uh, Dr. James White's really busy right now, so I'm going to go ahead and we're going to uh, do a show ourselves responding to the heretical teaching in this video. want to say that this is really, really important to get. This is not a side issue, brothers and sisters. I just want to address this. This is not a side issue. This is central to our faith we're talking about the god that we worship so this isn't a discussion mm-hmm. uh, between infant baptism creed and 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 credo baptist uh, pedo baptism credo baptism this is not that kind of discussion this is not a discussion between um brothers over whether you can have a cigar or not or whether you can uh, drink a beer or not this is not that kind of discussion where you should have exclusive psalms uh, only in the church this is not that kind of discussion this is a discussion that goes to the heart of the gospel because it goes to the heart of um, our faith who is God how do I come to know him those are two essential questions and when we talk about the issue of um, 
God who is God. We're talking about the God that we worship. And so if you have a man like Marcus Rogers, who is co-opting Christian terminology, but preaching a false God, um, we're talking about a very serious issue. So we've got to get this right. It's vitally important to get. It's not a side issue. It's an issue of eternal life or eternal death. Um, And I want to address ahead of time a concern that people might have. Someone might say, well, I don't fully comprehend or uh, understand all the truths of the Trinity. I'm going to say, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're creatures with three pound brains uh, worshiping a limitless, amazing God, right? Who is above us. He's not a creature like we are. And so there are aspects of God that we cannot comprehend. And so it's, it's not... Uh, a, a lack of ability to comprehend all the things about the Trinity that damns you or condemns you. It is the outright denial of these things that condemns you. Uh, and Marcus Rogers, for all his zeal, for all his passion, for all of his ability to speak um, quickly uh, and communicate well, Um, he is preaching a false God. And so these are issues we do want to address on Apologia Radio. We try to stay away from character assassination on Apologia Radio. We try to address the issues themselves. I hope you've seen our history that we've tried to stay consistent in that um, course. But in this case, you have a man like Marcus Rogers who does have a pretty significant following. Uh, There are a lot of people who listen to this man, a lot of people who share his videos, and so this is false teaching that is being spread. And so we're going to have Dr. Edward Dalcor walk through this video with us together to address these things from the scriptures to address really an age-old heresy. Mm -hmm. you got to capture that. What Marcus Rogers is propagating today is not new. It is as old as the church, essentially. In the second century of the church, we had to deal with heretics just like Marcus Rogers. We had to deal with these issues early on. We did. We addressed them with the scriptures. We, we cast these arguments down. We defeated these things. We created confessions many times in the church responding to these kinds of heresies. And so, um, like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under, under the, the sun. sun. All the same stuff, many times repackaged, uh, but it's the same heresy and the people of God need to rise up to put it down um, with love for God and love for neighbor. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back with Dr. Edward Dalcor, one of my favorite theologians on the planet. Be right back. ApologiaRadio.com. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face 
For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world, not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college to equip students with the tools to build and fight. This is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, visit us online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. studio what's up joy hello welcome back if you guys uh, didn't catch the last episode joy is now working full-time for apologia studios so get ready is all i can say for some stuff to be coming out over the next couple of weeks uh it's things are really going to change around here just because we're going to be able to get a lot more done and so we're super thrilled everybody loves joy she's been uh, part of this church since the very beginning and a part of Pol- apologia radio since the very very beginning so i'd like you guys to uh make up some shirts that say that everybody loves joy everybody loves joy and then wear them all the time i really like that we do no we do need to get <laughs> we do really need to talk about this we do need to get apologia radio swag it's one thing we have never right. really done we had the, the yeah. Phoenix, but those have been gone for a while. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. So here we go. Uh, Want to introduce? Um, I'm gonna say. I mean, this when I say this. He's one of my favorite theologians on the planet. Um, if you listen to the what about ad, in the galaxy, to the, to the, well, that would be true too. Yeah, because I I don't think there's any life on other planets, and so. What about in the, the universe? Galaxy. What about the universe? In the universe as well. Okay. As well. I just want yes. to verify. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that would be living. Um, like, you know, not yet departed. I mean, I, I, I happen to like the Apostle Paul a little more than Edward Dalcor. So, um, so we've had him on before, and I have a long history with this brother. Uh, we met each other first outside the Mormon Temple in Mesa, Arizona. I don't even know how long ago, over a decade ago. And uh, we stood outside that temple together. And um, I want to uh, encourage you guys to check out his uh, website. And I'll give you the address in just a moment here, but give you a little bit of background on Dr. Edward Dalcor. He serves as mentor at Greenwich School of Theology in London, England, and holds the appointment of senior lecturer of the Northwest University Faculty of Theology. He's the president and founder of the Department of Christian Defense, a Christian apologetic ministry based in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Dalcor holds a master in apologetics from Columbia Evangelical Seminary and a Ph.D. in theology from Northwest University. Dr. Dalcor is a theological contributor to various theological journals and publications. He has written numerous counter-cult apologetic tracts and pamphlets. Dr. Dalcor has authored the most current and exegetically treated work, on Oneness Theology, which is why he is on today, and the Trinity, entitled Definitive Look at Oneness Theology in Light of Biblical Trinitarianism. Dr. Delcor currently resides with his wife and family in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Delcor, welcome back to Apologia Radio, brother. Hey, it's good to be here. Good to be here. Hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you, do the Australian brother, you know, I was in um, Rotorua, New Zealand, and we actually ate barbecued kangaroo barbecued he 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 walked away but barbecued Aww. kangaroo that's a real thing yeah how yeah, it how, really was, is. how was it tastes like chicken 
Did it really? Was it a baby kangaroo? Oh, uh, wow. you know, I don't know. Just I get that idea in my mind. It was like veal. It was, it was like very yeah, soft was, and tender baby kangaroo. You're really upsetting Joy right now, Dr. Delcor. Uh, baby kangaroo. Interesting. They're so cute. Why would you... <laughs> Why would you want to eat them? That's, <laughs> oh, we, that's what they served us. Right. Okay. Yeah, you, hey, one in Rome. Maybe one in Australia. Maybe it was roadkill and they just ate it. Hey. All I know is that they're kangaroos at the farm. And they'll, like, hold your hand and, like, give you kisses. And then box you. No. They'll kiss you. We don't like, need those, on the though. mouth if you want. Yeah, joy, on the mouth. Joy, you're ruining me for everyone. <laughs> joy, <laughs> things just do got you weird. want? <laughs> do you want? It may have happened. Okay, okay. All right, guys. So um, I want to encourage everyone. So it's, it's, it's christiandefense.org, right? Yes. Okay, yes. christiandefense.org. Okay. So encourage everybody, if you're interested in this topic, um, go to christiandefense.org and get connected to Dr. Delcor and his resources. In particular, pick up the book that is specifically on this subject. Um, before I introduce the video, um, let me have Dr. Delcor bring us into the discussion about this heresy, why it's important. Let's do that first as we set up the video. Why it's very important... Um it, it just touches the very marrow of scripture, the very marrow of who God is. And I, I recall a verse in Hosea 6, 6, where Yahweh says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. And it's really interesting that Roger, Mr. Rogers, why he was presenting this video, I remember he reverted to he had a revelation and all these things and and how excited he was to in the spirit and all these things and even quoting uh, Mark 16 for his uh, proof text of his excitement and emotion. But the fact of the matter is, God rather ha has knowledge of, of who he is. He rather have us have correct, accurate knowledge of who he is. And the doctrine of Trinity is more than a uh, passing doctrine. And unfortunately, it's just a neglected doctrine, but yet is one of the most important, vital doctrines of all of Christianity because it expresses the nature of God. And in John 4, 24, Jesus says, those who worship God must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. So it's vitally important that one has a apprehension of the triune nature of God. And you made a good point, Jeff, about people that, you know, there's many people who have not, at Christians, who have not been adequately taught the doctrine of Trinity. But that is different than a oneness Pentecostal who flat out rejects the doctrine of the Trinity. And I think pastors and and teachers and leaders should really have focus on the nature of God because we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's essentially what it is devolved to when we look at the doctrines like the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's vitally important, probably the most important doctrine of all of Christianity and biblical theology. And it, it, it ties everything together in terms of the story of redemption. Yes, I do a message called the gospel of the trinity where without the trinity you do not have redemption you do not have christ's role as as mediator and priest you do not have the holy god the holy spirit regenerating those whom the father gives to jesus and they come and you don't have 
all of those doctrines with oneness theology because and I think you mentioned there was a speaker who was speaking on the actors of God or God as playing the actors and that's exactly what modalism uh, I call it oneness Unitarianism actually teaches that God is an actor um, that comes out in different modes and his name is Jesus sometimes he comes out as acting as the father the divine nature sometimes he acts as a son and sometimes he acts as the Holy Spirit and it's interesting we're expected to come to the scriptures and know what role he's acting and we're supposed to look at the scriptures and read the narratives and say oh yeah the apostles really would have got that that switch you know from father to son right the right. Holy Spirit back to the father they yeah sure they really would have understood this kind of um, God is after theme that they hold to. Yeah, and it's important to uh, to to point to the fact, like Dr. Dalcor says, that Christians oftentimes struggle through the doctrine of the Trinity. Maybe feel like it is too difficult to understand, and so they don't spend time really examining what the Scriptures say, and that's detrimental to our faith because this is how God has revealed himself to us. Now, while there are aspects to the doctrine of the Trinity that are incomprehensible to creatures with three-pound brains, there are truths that are completely apprehendable and it's important to get. And and oftentimes there are pastors who feel ill-equipped, unfortunately, to teach the people of God on this issue. And I think that that is damaging to the church, to the people of God, and to the faith. I'll give you an example. Watch this. We're going to cut that there, uh, Luke, for a sec. I taught, um, there's a sermon that we have on Apologia Studios. Uh, it's called Help Me Understand the Trinity, Jeff Durbin on the Trinity. It has about 50,000 views right now. It's one of the more popular sermons uh, we did on the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to play this for you. Okay, this is in no way to damage the brother who went up and said what he said here. But as I was introduced um, before I brought this topic to this church, I was invited for their doctrine series. Uh, this is what the pastor said to the church. And it was, I was, I was backstage getting ready to come on uh, when he introduced me in this way. And I, I was like hanging my head like, oh no, listen. Well, speaking of doing good, I want to introduce you to my friend today who we've had come in to, to, to speak. He's going to be speaking on this essential series we've been in. I've asked him to, to speak on the Trinity. It, that, that topic gives me a headache, so I didn't want to do it. So I said, I'll bring in someone smarter than me. And uh... Oh. Okay. <laughs> Oh. This was my introduction. <laughs> I'm awesome. I'm coming up to teach on the Trinity and how essential it is. And and this this brother this pastor introduced me in that way. It hurts my head. It gives me a headache. And so I wanted someone smarter than me to do it. And that's just bad. It's just it's just uh, bad all around. I don't know what else to say about that. And I think that's part of the problem. Uh, it's important for us to engage this issue, um, Doctor Dalcor. Before I actually play the video, is this something that? is new in terms of the church having to face this heresy. How, how old is this? Actually, we can find traces of a system or a concept of modalism or oneness theology back in the early, early second century. I was just reading a quotation from uh, uh, Justin Martyr, who wrote around 150 AD in his first apology. And he said, for those um, or for they who affirm that the son is the father are proved neither to have become acquainted with the father nor to know the father of the universe has a son. 
Um, so we can go back to the early second century and find these kind of quotations. Of course, it was more developed later. And then we have uh, early church fathers like Hippolytus and Tertullian writing actual apologetic works against it because it disrupted the faith so severely. It put a knife through the very heart of the gospel and it made God out to be this Unitarian monad. And um, since then, it's just been, particularly after the, um, some of the earlier uh, 19th century or eight, uh, 20th century revivals, and it's reemerging now, stronger than ever, growing. You have um, oneness pastors who hide their doctrine many times, who are on mainline Christian TV, and it's just uh, very upsetting to those of us who understand the enormity of the doctrine of the Trinity. But it goes back all the way to second century. Yes. So someone might ask the question, why would you guys pick Marcus Rogers to um, engage with, um, to talk about this heresy? Why not pick someone different? Well, let me, let me address that. The reason why um, we are addressing Marcus Rogers uh, in this, uh, no, he is not a world-class scholar or theologian, really, in any respect. Um, but why Marcus Rogers? We, we're doing this because Marcus Rogers has a pretty considerable following, and he is drawing followers to himself. And when I say to himself, I mean to himself. And he even mentions in, in, uh, in a video where he is drawing people to himself, that they're going to see his fruit and draw be drawn to him. Uh, and so that's why we're doing it. He also responded directly to Dr. White. These are important issues. And if we can have anything to do with shedding light on this very, very dark theology, um, I'm happy to do it. And so what we're going to do is play through this. Dr. Dalcour, if you want me to stop at any point, just yell stop and I'll stop and I'll stop at a few points myself and we'll engage with this. You guys ready to go? Yes. Okay, here we go. This is Marcus Rogers. Uh, one of his recent uh, videos up on YouTube. The title of the video is Marcus Rogers on Dr. James White. It's under his channel, Marcus Rogers on YouTube. So here we go. Everybody, uh, praise the Lord, Dr. James White. I just want to say God bless you. I love you before I start. Originally, I didn't feel the need to do this video because number one, um, you're a lot older than me. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but I'm sure you've had many debates about this and you pretty much have a made up mind. Nothing I say is probably going to change that unless the Holy Ghost, you know, reveals something different to you. Um, the Bible says he who has an ear, let him hear. But then I began to think about all the new converts and new believers. And, you know, they're looking at everything that you post about me. And they're like, well, what do I believe? What is the truth? So I decided to just make one last video, not in a disrespectful way, but to just let the word of God speak for itself. Um, I don't feel the need to, if people think that I'm arrogant, but I don't feel the need to explain myself or debate with everyone who comes because, you know, God already told me that through what he was going to do in my life since a child, you know, that the light that he's going to put in me and the fire and the power and the anointing that he's going to give me, that's what's going to draw people to me. The Bible says a tree is known by the fruit it bears. And the only way to have good fruit is to be rooted in the truth, be rooted in Jesus Christ. That's where our power comes from. So I just want to address that. I think it's important. Um, I'm always very suspicious of people who, who want people to be drawn to them. M ministry, gospel ministry, gospel-centered ministry should be about making Jesus famous and not me, not you. It should be about um, highlighting the glory of Jesus Christ and having people drawn to Jesus Christ and not to you. And it might it might seem like a, a minor issue to a few folks, like well, you know, he just you know he's just pointing out something he feels like God told him. Um, I, I I see that as an indication of what is going on, 
Now, I don't think I'm reading a lot into that because if you watch this man's videos, you'll see there's a common theme there in terms of him gathering people to himself. And so oftentimes false teachers will do is they will try to gather people to themselves rather than to Christ. And so that always concerns me when I see people building their ministry in an effort to draw people to themselves. Ministry should be pointing to Jesus Christ, should be highlighting him and getting people drawn to Jesus. And when you just make an admission like that, it's, you know, people, God already told me that, you know, this is going to draw people to me. Um, I, I think it's just very revealing personally. And also we could do an entire uh, episode on what this man often says, and that is that God told me. Uh, it's a question that's that's worthy right. of being asked. Um, is that God telling you, like, as in that's the Anustas revelation from God? Like God spoke to you in the same way he spoke to the Apostle Paul or to the prophets and apostles as they gave Theonoustos, God-breathed scripture? I think it's an important thing to discuss, and it has a lot to do with many of the things this guy does. As a matter of fact, and I failed to actually be able to find it again, when I was doing a little bit of a review of this man's social media, I did see a particular point where he told people that God told him not to engage in these debates online and that God had told him uh, not to do it. And then here we have him actually doing it after God told him not to. So anything you want to say to that, Dr. Dacor? Uh, yeah, it was interesting how he said that the uh, he assumed that new converts are going to ask the question, you know, what do I believe in all these things? Well, um, that that is completely false, I would assert, because a new convert that's truly has a faith that was that was the result of regeneration is not going to ask how many gods are there, mm. or they're not going to ask, you know, what did Jesus, you know, would, did the cross actually forgive my sins? I mean, these are not new converts. If someone has to ask, you know, how many gods are there, or is God can he make a rock bigger that he that he can't lift, and so on and so forth? Again, they're going to have apprehensive knowledge of the true God, at least in a most basic fundamental way, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Here we go. It's no goodness of our own. So when people come to me, the reason they come to me and they're following me is because they see my fruit and they say, man, this guy really loves Jesus. Man, this guy, he's, there's something different about him. He has a fire and a passion for God. And I let that speak for itself. That doesn't mean a dang thing. I'm sorry to be so blunt about it. It doesn't mean anything. Mormons are some of the sweetest, most zealous people you will ever meet. Yes. Ever. Yes. They are really one of the most amazing communities to engage with because it's really, it's low risk. Going mm. out to the Mormon temple is pretty low risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know, not generally going to swing a bat at your head. Right. You yeah. know, and they're, and they're on, they have zeal for God. And I want to say that that is not the test of a prophet, whether you have zeal for God, quote unquote, zeal for God. Believe me, I would say that the Galatian heretics, the, the people that Paul was addressing, in the book of Galatians, they probably had the appearance of a zeal for God. Okay? Mm. They didn't look like demons. They didn't look like they had no zeal for God. They didn't look like theological eors, right? <laughs> they probably looked very zealous. But the point is, is that this man's fruit, what his quote-unquote ministry is producing, what his personal life is producing, is false teaching. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, that's bad fruit. That's very bad fruit. All the zeal for God in the world can't cover up the fact that if you preach a false Christ, you're a false teacher. Mm. He keeps saying that he's not, he's going to let it speak for itself. He's going to let his fruit speak for itself, but he continually has to tell us how he has fruit. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's not because I'm arrogant that I don't want to debate, but the Bible says he who has an ear, let him hear. Either they're going to hear it or not. Some are going to follow and some are not. And by the way, this this um, constant thing that Mr. Rogers says that I'm not going to debate. My friend, you're in the debate. <laughs> you, you're already in it. You're, you're producing videos and content and you're giving uh, jabs right. constantly and you're always, uh, yeah. you know, speaking and teaching your heresy. You're, you're in the debate. It's, it's just fallacious to say, you know, I'm not going to debate and I don't do this debate. I'm not engaged in the debate. Yeah, yes, yes, you are. Just go ahead and admit to it and let's just let's get let's talk turkey. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to business and let's get into the scriptures together. I'm not desperate for followers. I'm not trying to be famous. I'm trying to make Jesus Christ famous because hell is real and he's the only one that can save us. So let's just get into the word of God here and I'm going to let you guys decide whatever, you know, whichever way you choose to go. Trinitarians and oneness people, we, be we both believe that there's one God. The only difference is they believe that the father is God, the son is God, and you can look up their uh, Google, their little diagram and the spirit, the Holy Spirit is God, but that the father is not the son and the son is not the father and the father is not the spirit, but they are all God and they work together, you know, Stop. uh, well, Okay. Yeah, I want to comment on that. It's <laughs> interesting it. how, and I know when I deal with oneness, a lot of whole oneness folks, the first question sometimes that I ask is, how do you understand the Trinity? Because most of these folks do not have a coherent idea as to what the Trinity teaches. Right. Most of them assume it's tritheism or three gods or multiple right. gods. As Mr. Rogers is asserting from some diagram, I guess that's the stock of his Trinitarian knowledge is a diagram he found on Wikipedia or something. But that's the sock of his knowledge. I don't think, after hearing this painful presentation, I don't think he understands what the Trinity is. He hasn't, he's never defined it in that presentation. I didn't see the other one before that. But in this one, he just defines it like so many misinformed oneness Pentecostals, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, who do not have an idea, a biblical idea, as to what the Trinity actually teaches. He just says three gods. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God without even mentioning one God revealed in three persons or some biblical definition of it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the highlight thing here is that uh, we as Trinitarians have always uh, confessed that there is only one God. As a matter of fact, the beginning of all Trinitarian theology is not whether the word is in the Bible, and he says that so often. Right. You'll never find this word in the Bible. The beginning of all Trinitarian thinking and theology is that there's only one God, period. One God, none before, none after, one God. But the issue is after that admission, after that confession, is that the Bible clearly says the Father is God. It clearly says that Jesus is God. It clearly says the Holy Spirit is God. And it never confuses the persons. It always makes the distinction between the Father and the Son. Jesus speaks about the Father and the Holy Spirit as distinct from himself. And uh, we're going to get into all that later. But that's just really important. There's, there's so much that needs to be discussed here in terms of what the Bible actually says about the persons, rather than highlighting, of course, that we believe there's only one God. You, you notice the little pot shots you like to take, too. The little diagram. The little, the little yeah. We want as people yep. believe is that there's only one God Oops. and these are just different manifestations of God. But I, we're going to turn to the Bible. Let's do that real fast, uh, Dr. Dalcor. Uh, oneness believes there's only one God, but these are all different manifestations right. of God. Yeah, uh, yeah the, their view simply is that there's one, one unipersonal God, which he never deals. He never addresses that. He never proves 
And one starting point uh, or the starting point of one of Pentecostals, as with Muslims, as with Jehovah Witnesses, keep in mind, these groups have the same fundamental concept of God, a unipersonal God. They start with that premise. They never show in scripture, though, that there is one person who is God because there's not one passage I would submit in Old Testament or the New Testament that actually teaches God is one person. So here's the deal. When they keep, as this person, Mr. Rogers, keeps complaining that there's only one God as somehow, as if Trinitarians don't believe that, the more and more he says that, what he's actually doing is supporting Trinitarianism. Because we believe in one God, we believe in the hundreds of passages that teach that there's one being, but he never shows that there's one person. All he does is complain that there's one God, which supports our position, since he doesn't show that there's one person, which is his hidden assumption, but mainly that there's one God, which really is meaningless unless you define it. Yeah, it's one thing that Dr. White says often in dealing with modalists and uh, oneness Pentecostals is you have to address the constant assumption of Unitarianism. One person. That is what he keeps going back to, and that is what needs to be challenged. We're going to turn to the Bible. We're going to let the Bible speak for itself. Pray about it. Pause the video right now. Pray about it and let God be God. Let the truth set people free. All right. I got to address that just (laughs) briefly because it comes up often um, in Roger's uh, videos and discussions. Uh, And here's a comment he made. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull this up here real fast. Cy saw that we were doing this. and He sent me this clip. Thank you, Cy, for this. Uh, In one of his uh, comments, he said, um, pray about it, brother, because a guy says, hey, Marcus, I watched the whole video. They both had valid arguments on oneness and Trinity. I don't know what to believe on that. Can you help me? And Marcus Rogers said, pray about it, brother. God will show you. I promise we could go back and forth all day with Bible verses. But in the end, it takes a revelation from God. Look for a UPC or apostolic church and visit. See if you feel the power of God when you go there. Don't take my word for it. Seek God, seek God about it, and I promise you he will answer you. And I said this last time. Where have I heard this kind of talk before? Yeah. Where have I heard it before? He gets a lot of burnings in his bosom. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've heard this before. People hand me books, and they say, yeah. Jeff, pray about it, and you'll receive a revelation from God to know whether it's true. Yeah, that's, that's a common tactic of the cults is to receive this private revelation from God, this personal experience. Just pray about it and see if you feel like it's true. What Jesus says in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. His word is truth. And so really what we need to do here is get to the scriptures and say, what does God say? Not what does our personal experience say? Uh, Because in a fallen state, our thoughts are futile. We profess to be wise. We become fools. Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And so you can't trust your heart, can't trust your experience. There are all sorts of things that we all do and think uh, that feel very, very good. Uh, to us. It doesn't mean it's true. We need to go to the scriptures and only the scriptures to say if what we believe and what we feel is consistent with God's word. That's vitally important. People free, all right? John 14 and 9. Now, this is what I like to call, that's not what it really meant verses. Every time you give the verse to a Trinitarian person, they say, well, that's not really what it meant. Let me explain to you. God doesn't need our help, all right? We don't need to add on to the word of God. We need to read God's word, pray about it, let the Holy Spirit give us a revelation, all right? We don't, the problem, the whole reason you have the the Trinitarian belief. Okay, let's, ready? I'll, (laughs) I'll play that game. I'll play that game. Are you ready? If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out, pluck it out, and cast it from you. 
If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Okay, so get busy. <laughs> That's not what it means. Oh, wait, wait, wait a tick. Wait a minute. So there are actually times where you actually have to read the Bible in context, where it's actually an appropriate response to There's somebody a few, a few places. when they say, hey, the Bible says cut your eyeball out, so let's see, here's a fork, right? <laughs> here's, here's a knife. Uh, it says cut your hand off, so here's a butcher knife. Is, is, is there ever an appropriate time to say when the person picks up the knife? It starts about starts to go gouge. Is there ever an appropriate time to go, hey, that's not what that meant? <laughs> Is there ever an appropriate time? I think Marcus would agree. There probably is an appropriate time to go, maybe you should read that in context. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should get to the heart of the matter and figure out what it really means. Uh, Dr. Delcor, anything you want to say about that? Yeah, John, um, a- absolutely. John 14, 9 is not interpreted by the verse alone. It's interpreted by the context. Interesting, in verse 6, he just Jesus just told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, uh, proston Petra, comes to the Father except through, dia, through me. So in verse 6, he defines what he means in verse 9 as the exact representation of the Father. He is the one that exegetes the Father, John 1.18. He is the one that, that is always the, the apagasmates in Hebrews 1.3, the, the glory or shining of the Father and, and the exact representation of him, of him, not as him. It's in, in uh, Hebrews 1.3, it's of him. So when we get to verse 9, yes, when you see Jesus, you see the Father because he just told us he's the only way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Interesting, if you're going to, and I, you know, Muslims make the same, the same fallacy here when they, they'll quote a verse while ignoring the other verses, like Mr. Rogers ignores verse 6, ignores the entirety of the biblical context, how Jesus is the one who exegetes the Father. In verse 23 of the same chapter, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him. And listen, we will come, a loose amatha, we will come, it's a, it's a plural indicative verb there, to him, and make our, it's the plural of poieo, make our abode with him. So here you have two plural indicative verbs identifying two omnipresent persons. Jesus says, I and the Father will come to these, all the believers, and to him we, we, plural verb there, we will make our abode. And interesting in in that verse, uh, when he says we will make our abode, the same verb is used in the Septuagint of Genesis one twenty six where we have a plural verb in the English, it's a plural um, uh, pronoun, but in the Hebrew, it's a plural verb. Let us make man in our image. Same verb as John 14, 23. So John 14, 9 actually affirms the multi-personal God of the scriptures and Jesus's differentiation from the father. Also one more point on John 14, 9. When Jesus said, when you see me, you see the father, what did they see? What did they physically see with their eyes? Well, the only thing they could have saw was his physical body, hmm. right? They right. can't see through him, but yet they would agree that the father is spirit. So how can you say they're literally seeing the father when all they were seeing was Jesus's physical body? That's it. They weren't seeing any other, anything else. How can they, they assert that Jesus is saying, when you see me, you see the father since the father doesn't have flesh and bones like Jesus had. That's right. Oh, powerful, Dr. Dalcor. And it makes me love the Trinity so much. 
more. The consistency in God's word at this point is amazing because where does it begin? Where does God begin to teach us about his triune nature? Where? Genesis chapter one. Let us right. create man, make man in our image. And then, uh, it's just the, the consistency of God's revelation at times is spellbinding. That's it, not the council of the gods? Not the council of the gods, no. brother. Okay, <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> oh okay. here we go. All right, here we go. More on Marcus Rogers. Even the word Trinity is nowhere found in the Bible is because uh, people are trying to put God in a box. Can we please, please, oh. Marcus Rogers, if I can say one thing to you, if you ever hear this episode, and I hope you do, my friend, I really hope you do. Can you please, please stop using that argument? And the, and the reason why is that Trinitarians, Christians, for throughout the ages have never believed in the Trinity based upon, well, the words in the Bible. We've never made the argument that the words in the Bible, okay, the word Bible is not in the Bible. Um, these are words that express um, a particular viewpoint and theological system, like yours, is oneness, okay, oneness. Uh, it, these are words we describe a system. And so, again, that is not a good argument. It's a really, really bad argument to say, well, the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. Nobody says it was. No, it's it's a it's a horror. And normally novice Jehovah Witnesses, Muslims and Oneness Pentecostals normally use it. Um, studied Oneness Pentecostals, they really don't use that argument. If you see scholarly debate in Oneness Pente- in, uh, between Oneness and Trinitarian, they don't. I've never heard someone of scholarly value that's actually studied Oneness theology ever use that novice sophomoric argument that the Trinity is not found in the Bible because they will be refuted. The word incarnation, which one is Pentecostals believe, but with a, in a different sense, that's not in the Bible. As you said, the Bible's not in the Bible. If we're limited to, to these words and we don't have any doctrine and what they don't understand is we use doctrinal words that a lot came later to define the biblical data. So for instance, John 1.14 says the word became flesh. The doctrinal word that we use is incarnation because it supports the biblical data. So when we use Trinity, it's because it supports the biblical data. There's one God revealed in three persons. That's right. And by the way, uh, I feel the need to point it out with humility. None of the words that Marcus Rogers is using right now are in the Bible because it wasn't written in English. Yes. Just one more thing to point out. Just kind of important. They're trying to say, well, you know, they're trying to relate to him as if he was a human. See, God was before there even was a was. Time and space cannot contain God and all his might and all his power and all his glory. You'll notice a few things. I'm, I'm sure, Dr. Dalcor, yes. you, you notice this. Um, every time he gets to a point where the text clearly refutes his system, his response every time, it's just a canned response it's it's an autonomic response on his part is well the answer to that is god's ways are above our ways and we can't contain god and he's you know he's beyond our ability to understand when the text directly refutes marcus rogers system he falls back onto well god is just so grand and big that's just just what god does just like that and it doesn't respond to the actual issues i was gonna say say too it's funny that he's using this argument accusing trinitarians of putting god in a box and making god in human terms because it's the exact opposite it really is because yeah. their argument against us is that well that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. but their 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 representation of god makes sense in human terms yeah so i heard right. that today i was listening i was like that's that's a complete f- flip of what's actually happening yeah that's right, right. That, that, that was a good point and you we also see his glaring 
Unitarian assumption when he says God is not a human. He is, he is assuming that only the Father is God, and he makes, but he never proves it. He just assumes it. Yep, the constant assumption of Unitarianism. There you go. What humans do, they say, well, what, who was Jesus praying to when he was in the garden? Even though God is omnipresent, even though he's the first and the last. All right, and they don't understand that. And I'm going to show you. So what happens is when you... Well, that, uh, hold on now. Well, that does, uh, respectfully, that doesn't answer the problem. Because oh. you see, when Jesus was being baptized, Matthew chapter 3, he, he's being baptized. There was a voice from heaven where the father said, this is the son of my love. Okay, so saying, but look, here's the answer to that. God's the first and the last. Did everyone catch that? That's the answer? The answer to what takes place in the baptism of Jesus is with the Father speaking from heaven to the Son, the answer is, well, God's the first and the last. That should answer that. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't answer. No, which doesn't explain the voice. Now, here's how, how they explain the voice. Even someone like David Bernard he actually explains the voice is that God is omnipresent so he can project his voice as if he, Jesus was the, the divine ventriloquist, as we say, projecting a voice. It doesn't answer how is that voice being projected. Yeah, and uh, it's just such a confusion of persons, and it really makes the God of the Bible into a confused fiction. Um, this is a, this is the stuff of mythology. This is the stuff of man-made religion. It truly is. Because you see, when you look at the doctrine of the Trinity, it is so grand and beautiful and consistent. 66 different books of the Bible, all of these hundreds and hundreds of years of revelation, all these different authors, and yet such a precision on this point. One God and the distinction of persons. And when you get to oneness, theology it disrupts the entire narrative of the scriptures the story of redemption it begins to confuse the persons and it really has all the hallmarks of man-made religion you start getting into things where well jesus what jesus is really doing there is jesus yes he's in the he's being baptized yes by john the baptist but he's what he's doing is throwing his voice from heaven and he's talking from heaven about himself it's it's the stuff of mythology brothers and sisters it really truly is it's the stuff of man-made religion Right. These, these kind of verses, they got to make an explanation and they got to give you their two cents. John 14 and 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father right there? All right. That already destroys the whole Trinitarian chart. Pull it up, Google it, look mm-hmm. it up. They say that the father is not the son, but Jesus is saying right here, clear as day. I'm not going to add anything to the word of God. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? It's like me saying, somebody saying, Hey, can you show me Marcus? I'm like, I'm Marcus. I'm right here. Can you see me? Now, Trinitarians, some of them argue with me and they say, well, you know, he wasn't really talking about that. He was talking about the attributes of God. They're right there. You're trying to add on to the word of God already. I- yeah. No, let, me, let me comment there because I don't know any Trinitarians that argue that way. Mm. When he says it, it destroys the Trinitarian chart, is that the only reference he has of the doctrine of the Trinity? It's our chart? standard is the chart. <laughs> the chart. <laughs> it's the chart. And he doesn't. And I noticed this, too. I don't know what he did on the previous videos, but on this one, he mentioned Dr. James White several times. But James wrote a great book, you know, The Forgotten Trinity, which he deals with some of these uh, some of these assertions in in a very in an exegetical way. But he never responds to anything scholarly in terms of a positive exegetical affirmation of the Trinity. His whole view of the Trinity is limited to a chart. And he says John 14, 9 destroys the chart. 
And it's just, um, it's, you just kind of throw up your hands. And yeah. Say, Is that the only, you know, source he has? And again, respectfully, um, when he says, I'm not going to add anything to the word of God, this entire video is him giving an interpretation and explanation of text. Let's be fair. I mean, let's right. be fair. At, at a particular point, you read a verse, say, I'm just not going to add anything to it. Well, you know, if we do that to the Bible, if we proof text, or just snatching text up and just say, I'm not going to add anything to it. Hey, I'll tell you what, you know what? There be God's many and Lord's many. There be God's many and Lord's many. I'm not going to add. Th- I'm not going to anything to the text. <laughs> there be God's many and Lord's many. You know, God you would be a chicken. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus says, "I'm the door. I'm not going to add anything to the text." <laughs> right? He God's Sorry. a consuming fire. I'm not going to add anything to the text. Plug out your eye. I'm not going to add anything to the text. Do you get the point? You see, you can't do that. Proof texting can be dangerous. Do, do people mm-hmm. have to proof text to, to, to explain the system? Yes, but proof texting without context is dangerous. It's dangerous. And, and, and it's, just, it's, it's just fallacious to say, it, I'm not going to add anything to the text. It's interesting. One more point. If you, and I make this point a lot, if you come to the scriptures with a clean slate and you read all these passages, say, say you just read the Gospel of John. You would never come to the idea that Jesus himself is the father, especially since there's not one passage where Jesus claims he's the father, where his apostles claim he's the father, where his enemies claim he's the father, where God the father claims he's the father. He's always son. There's always a distinction in persons, and that is, there's just no question about that. There's always a distinction in persons. And the beauty, again, I just want to highlight it, is the consistency in God's revelation at that point. It is from front to back, cover to cover, always a distinction in persons, starting in Genesis 1. And then look at the book of Revelation, the distinction in persons, the worship taking place in Revelation chapter 5, um, before the Father and the Son. Could have simply yes. said, well, you're going to see him later. He's sitting in heaven. You know, it's not time to see him or anything like that. No, he said, if you've seen me, you've already seen the Father. All right. And so that's. Thank you for that further explication, Marcus Rogers, on the text Yeah, that you're not doing. <laughs> one of the verses that I was talking about, another simple one, John 10 and 30. I and the Father are one. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Okay. Yep. Yes. Wait. Before we just start whipping out verses uh, and uh, giving people the assumption that they've all been interpreted correctly, I and the Father are one. I think there's a little more in John chapter 10 than that. Yeah, yes. Um, again, he's, he's guilty of ignoring context, because if you look at the entirety, just take, take John 10. Uh, aside from John's literature, you take John 10, and especially in, his, in uh, chapters 14 and 16, but say, take John 10. The Father and Jesus are differentiated all throughout. For instance, in verse 17, for this reason, Jesus says, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order that mm. I may take it up again. How do natures love each other? How does an abstract nature show anything? Only persons love. And then in verse 27, leading up to 30, and I always point this out, this, these are the affirmative passages that prove the deity of Christ, not just verse 30, but for in terms of oneness theology and refuting the system, Jesus says, my sheep are my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never, never, not even a possibility perish says the Greek, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the father, um, uh, uh, one we are, you know, hand Esmond, one we are. Yes. And 
I would say what Rogers, Mr. Rogers doesn't, I don't think he's aware of at all based on the, his comments and based on you know, his, his standard of interpreting interpretation of the Trinity, the chart, um, the Greek text uses the term, uses the neuter hand, but the verb here, as you know, is plural. He says, I and the father, one we are. He doesn't say one uh, esteen is. He doesn't say I and the father is. He said that, then oneness theology has some teeth there, but he doesn't. He differentiates himself by a plural verb. Tertullian argued this way. The early church showed how ridiculous the argument is that Jesus was somehow claiming he's the father because a plural verb is used, not a singular verb is used. Oh, man. Plus my, the context. My heart is so full right now, Dr. Dalcor. I just absolutely love, love, love to talk about this stuff. One, we are. It's in the text. I am the father are one. See, there you go. Jesus is the father. No, <laughs> it says we, one, we are. One, we are. I love the Greek, y'all. I love the Greek. Plus, even to like interpret that passage in his understanding of God, and you know, with the modes and stuff. So, like one second he's God, and then he's like handing it to imaginary Christ, and then Christ has to switch modes and then take it from the Father. You know, mm-hmm. take them from the Father. That's right. And it's like, how does that even work? In in how he's trying to explain it. Yeah, just, I love the distinction that Jesus makes there all throughout John chapter ten between himself and the Father and his obedience and his laying down his life for the sheep. And um, I, I like just in the text right there, they'll, they'll never perish. My father who has given them to me, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. It's amazing. Absolutely incredible. God's revelation is so astonishing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 45 and 5. I- yes. Okay. Wow. Amen. Yes, continue. <laughs> <It> yeah. <run. laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Please, thank you. Uh, the Shema, love it. Wonderful, wonderful text. Use it all the time. Uh, and so we believe that. It proves nothing in terms of Unitarianism. Um, and so uh, what we need to be cautious of is people who speak very, very fast with a lot of zeal that do a lot of quick proof texting, giving people the impression that they've all been interpreted correctly. So um, Trinitarians use Deuteronomy chapter 4 or 6 verse 4 all the time. The Lord, and there is no other. There is no other. There's just one God sitting yes. up there. You're not going to go to heaven and see Jesus over here, the Holy Spirit over here, and God over there. Now, people they like to use the verses about Jesus being on the uh, on the uh, right hand of God at the throne. I'm telling you, ask God for a revelation. Our God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He can do whatever He wants. Just read the Bible for what it says. All right, we're going to go deeper because some. Oh, yeah, you know, it, <laughs> just ask God for revelation. It's interesting. Again, he's he's asserting Unitarianism. Yes, there's singular um, descriptions of God all through Scripture. There's one, um, I will create all things by myself. I mean, there's hundreds of singular but uh, references, but what the oneness people do, they ignore all the multi-personal descriptions of God throughout the Old Testament, such as the plural nouns, plural adjectives, plural verbs, and plural prepositions. We just saw it in Genesis 1 uh, 26, let us, same verb as John 14, 23, let us make man in our image. It's a plural noun there and a plural verb. And then in, in the Septuagint, in uh, Genesis two eighteen, that's a great one. Uh, Septuagint reads, it is not good that man should be alone. Let us make a suitable helper for him. Again, the same plural verb is in Genesis one twenty six, Genesis eleven seventeen, where Yahweh says, um, 
let us descend and confuse. And there's many more that can be shown. And how about all the plural prepositions? This is one of my favorites. In Genesis 3.22, when man sinned and God said, the one true God said, man has become like a head, one, and then a plural preposition, one of us. Man has become like one of us. You cannot say this is a plural of majesty. In fact, there's no plural of majesties ever denoted and d- described or even implied in Scripture. Right. So we have plural prepositions. Plur- How about the plural nouns? Isaiah 45 or 44.5. Your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. In the Hebrew text, your husbands, it's plural, is your what? Makers. That's plural. Whose name is the Lord of hosts. Same with Psalms um, mm. 149 verse 2. Let Israel be glad in his, in the Hebrew, makers. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their in their king. One of my favorites, Ecclesiastes 12.1. And in fact, if you go to Young's literal translation, they translate it according to the Hebrew text. Most of our translations in Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Well, in the Hebrew text, it says, remember your creators. It's plural in the days of your youth. <clears throat> and then we see a whole, just there's so many of these plural verbs. Let me give our um, uh, references. There's plural adjectives, Proverbs 30, verse 3, where Agar says he does not have, quote, have the knowledge of the Holy One. But this is the masculine plural here, quadushim in Hebrew. He does not have knowledge of the Holy Ones. Even the Septuagint renders quadushim as uh, hagion, the, the genitive plural of hagios, the Holy Ones. And we see this on and on and on mm. of these plural. And they don't deal with the plural descriptions and as you know, Jeff, Genesis 19.24, this is something that the early church used to show that God is not Unitarian, where it says, then Yahweh reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Yahweh in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's be- in Septuagint, the Curios, the Lord rained down sulfur and fire, uh, para Curios, from the Lord in heaven. Um, and that is... David Bernard, he wrote a standard book on one of theology, and when it came to that passage, he had to spend almost a page trying to explain it away. It took him a page. <laughs> I can allow that passage to read for itself. I can look at chapters 18 and see the angel of the Lord, and 19, who the angel of the Lord was now identified as Yahweh, and then in verse 24, Yahweh, Yahweh. it rained fire and brimstone from Yahweh in heaven. It's beautiful, beautiful passage there. The point is, they just ignore all the uh, multi-personal descriptions, verbs, uh, plural adjectives, plural prepositions, plural nouns who are described to God, and they only look at the Unitarian as they interpret the, the singular references as Unitarian passages. Yes. I'll tell you what, Eddie's running on a mic to drop. <laughs> praise, <laughs> praise God. Here we go. Off all those verses I just gave you, look up this chart right here, the uh, oneness of God. It'll give you every Bible verse that you need. You're not going to find the word Trinita- Trini- uh, Trinity anywhere in the Bible, but you will find that the God is one. All right. Now, what we're going to do, why this is so important, people are like, well, it's not a salvation issue. We're going to get into the name of God, and I'm going to break it down a little bit more. This is probably the most important part of this video. By the way, uh, yes, yeah. it is oh, a yeah. salvation yeah. issue. Um, <laughs> who said it's not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I would agree with you, Marcus Rogers. Uh, it's a salvation issue. Uh, again, this not Christians who have a difficult time expressing or comprehending or just not fully understanding, but when you outright deny 
the triune God of the Bible. Yeah, that's a salvation issue. That's why this is so, so serious. So listen up really good. Uh, Let's see. Isaiah chapter nine and six. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Hmm? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're still talking about the same uh, person in verse seven. Of the greatness of his government and peace, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with the justice and righteousness from the time on forever. Man, check this out right here. Right here is saying there's a child that is going to be born and that child is the everlasting father. That Uh child is the mighty God. And we know that child to be Jesus Christ. Later, uh, the Bible says he would be called Emmanuel. We can find that in the word of God. Man. All right, let's stop there. Okay, yeah. so uh, Dr. Delcor, that's a popular well, uh, one. Yeah, uh, Isaiah 9 is, is a proof text like John 10, 30. It's so interesting that they, they the, the, the text that they use actually support the Trinity and the distinctions. Um, in the beginning of the passage, we see that a, a child is born and a son is given. It doesn't say the child is the everlasting father. A child is born as he was humanity humanity and a son is given as to his deity i would submit but mr rogers is just not aware that to define god as to the concept of father and son you know the 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 terms there as he asserts his meaning of father was basically foreign in the old testament i mean we have a few very ambiguous references but the fact of the matter they didn't refer to god as father son holy spirit until of course, the New Testament, however, that's not to say we see the multi-personal descriptions of God. Mr. Rogers is not aware that he commits what's a fallacy of equivocation when he says that the term father only has one meaning. And I know he's just not aware of these things because it seems, I don't, I'm not sure if he's read the Old Testament on how many times or the times that Ab, the Hebrew for father, is used, but it's only used about 15 times. What does that tell us? It, first, father wasn't even a normative term for God in the Old Testament. But when we look at the places where Ab is applied to God, and only about 15 times in the Old Testament, um, we find it denotes his parental role to his children, like in Isaiah 63, 16, and other places. It's connected with his role as creator, like we see in Deuteronomy 32, 6, and also their other proof texts, Malachi 2, 10. It's connected with creator. Um, He's not aware of the, uh, when he says the name, Shem, in the Hebrew text there, that his name will be called, was not a formal title of God, but rather it denoted, as scholarship shows, it denoted the essence or um, essential characteristics of somebody. In, in other words, as to his essential characteristics of the Messiah, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting uh, father, and prince of peace. Also, which is interesting, when, he, when we look at these, these, uh, this, this term, ab, lexically, it carries the meaning of uh, possessor or founder in light of his parental and creative role. In other words, we see, for example, people that had the name with ab in the beginning, like Abai, Abelabon, I think his name was, Second uh, Samuel 23, 31. His name, uh, his name means literally father or possessor of strength. Or in uh, or strong one in Exodus six twenty four Abbasif, father of gathering right he who gathers thus the the Messiah is the Ab the father of eternity, in fact the Hebrew reads which he hasn't read the Hebrew actually reads the syntactically <laughs> father eternal that's how it reads the Messiah is father eternal 
or, and my favorite translation of this passage comes from the Targum, which the early Jews use. Listen how it reads. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, existing forever. That's how they translate that phrase there, Father Eternity, existing forever. Thus, the Messiah, whose days and peace shall increase upon us. So that's the, the, the 9-6 of Isaiah that they assert, and their assertion that that was a formal title is incorrect in light of the lexical meaning of Ab and how it's used the 15 times of God. Fantastic. There you go. Okay, guys, here we go. Onward. Uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Matthew one twenty three. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. All right. What mm-hmm. does Emmanuel mean? That means God with us. Mm-hmm. We agree. Yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. Doesn't prove Unitarianism. I right, read John chapter one about the uh, in the beginning was the word. You look at Genesis chapter one. God- Stop. Nope. Doesn't just say that. It says an archaean halagos kai halagos ain prostone theon. Um, the word God with God. Jesus there present with the Father. Uh, not just and the word was God right. in the beginning. It's it's that he was with. The Father toward the Father, face to face with the Father. God created the the heavens and earth. In the beginning was that word, and if you read John chapter one, it says that that word become became flesh. Now, some people like to argue. They say, well, it says also in there that the word was with God. God is omnipresent. God, he he can do whatever. He can be right here with me, and all the way over there, he can be wherever he wants to. Nope. Sorry. Uh, See, and there it is again. Let me tell you something interesting about his assertion of John 1-1 when he says it's because he's with God because he's omnipresent. That is, and and listen to this, this is a non-traditional oneness interpretation. In fact, I don't know any oneness writers, any oneness teachers, any oneness uh, speakers out there who come to that conclusion that he's omnipresent. You don't have... Um, omnipresence and to be with someone have nothing to do with each other. It's an absurd. It, it's just. It's not even a oneness assertion. I don't know where he gets that. I don't know. I don't know what what chart he's reading. Maybe he has a oneness chart that no one else knows about. But it <laughs> just doesn't fly with oneness scholars. They would refute him and they would correct him. Um, normally, the oneness idea there is that the word is the Father. But you, Jeff, you made a very good point on the prostantheon. Interestingly, this phrase, I counted, this phrase in the Greek New Testament is used 20 times. That's it, 20 times, this phrase, prostantheon. Aside from two times where the, the, neuter, uh, the, the neuter plural ar- uh, article is used, like in Hebrews, the ta prostantheon, meaning pertaining to the things of God, in every single case, Pros differentiates between the persons or persons and God in every single time that's right there you go there you go just because you can't understand it the bible says lean not unto your own understanding so let this hit you why is this important marcus well right here it says that he's the everlasting father that's another one that well that's not really what it meant it meant that he's an uh, authority figure no he's it says he is no no one no authority no 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 one has that. <laughs> which you know, which it, chart is that from? <laughs> even Jewish commentators, you look at Jewish rab, rabbinic interpretation, no one in church history has ever came up with a modalistic interpretation of Matthew 28, 19 or Isaiah 9, 6. One is Pentecostals are alone. They're, they're, the scholarship is on our side on this. Yep. 
mighty God, the everlasting father. All right now, why is this important? Well, the Bible says in, in John three and five, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and of the spirit. The spirit is the Holy Ghost, which Jesus said, I will send you the comforter. All right. And then it, uh, I think it's Mark chapter 16. You know, it says these signs shall follow them that believe And one of those uh, parts in that verse says they shall speak with new tongues. So if you're a believer, you should be speaking with new tongues. But let's go back. Let's go. Yikes. Whoa. Uh, Yikes. Well, this, Yikes. There's a leap. Oh, man. Oh, I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> so much to talk about. We, um, uh, yeah. Uh, do you want do you want to address that? I mean, that, that? None of that really has really much to do. Uh, yeah, you, you, you never base the doctrine on a spurious text. Um, that, yeah. it's, it's hard to argue those texts, even with Christian charismatics, because it's in red. Yeah. And you can't define, you know, you can't deny right. what Jesus said there. Well, but we'll, 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 we'll save the very, very awful interpretation just now given about the tongues uh, for maybe another episode or something. Let's let's move onward. Back to the water part, all right? It says, very very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water. Now, why is this important? Acts 4.10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name singular under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Listen to that part. Salvation is found in no one. I feel the Holy Ghost, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's go back to that Matthew verse that I was just reading. Therefore, go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19, of all nations, baptizing them in the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is that uh -huh. name? All right. Uh, well, I've said this many times before. I am a father. I am a son and I am a soldier. If I went into a bank and they asked me to sign my name, I wouldn't sign father. I wouldn't sign son. I wouldn't sign soldier. I would sign Marcus Rogers. So what is the name? We both agree that there's one God, but what is the name of this one God? Acts 4.10. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus that saves us which we go back and we look at the verses in Isaiah, the mighty God. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's just, it's uh, back and forth, back and forth. When back did and he forth. become a father? Boom. Yeah. Yeah, we, we got to, yeah. Yeah, we got to talk about that analogy. Okay. All right. So uh, I'll let you go first, Dr. Delcor. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a common also uh, uh, textual uh, exegetical mistake in Matthew 28, 19. First of all, again, in church history, no one's ever interpreted Matthew 28, 19 with a modalistic um, slant on it that name means uh, Jesus and he's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, when we, what refutes the whole system is what they're not aware of. Simply this, that the word name, onama, in the Greek text or Shem in the Hebrew, rarely, rarely, rarely meant someone's actual name. In right. fact, the fact, the fact of the matter is there's, there was probably thousands of, of Jesuses running around first century Palestine. Everyone, that was a common name. You know, if you look if you want to assert his linguistic symbols of his name, rather the name meant authority or in, the, in as Robinson points out in the authority of, or it denotes as Moulton Milligan points out the authority of the person. So what we have in Matthew 20 and 19, first of all, it's a Trinitarian text, uh, text. how, because the grammar, uh, you have a repetition of, of personal uh, nouns, the father, son, Holy spirit. 
differentiated by and, and the repetition of the article in the name of the Father and the name of the Son, right? And the um, uh, of the Spirit. So you have a repetition of the, of the Greek article, which differentiates the three persons. This is confirmed by Greek grammarians. This is confirmed in biblical scholarship. Um, it doesn't read, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't read like that. Oneness would have a case if it read like that, if there was just one article, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say that. It says the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And secondly, the word name there, as I was pointing out, meant authority or on behalf of um, a power. So when you put all those grammatical points and semantical points together and how a Jew would understand the word name, here's what you have. You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bounded under the name of Yahweh, three distinct persons under the authority, under the name or the, the power of Yahweh. And he wants to use Acts, but Acts destroys his position on the word name, like Acts 4, 5 and 7, when it talks about the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and, and Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas and John the, uh, and Alexander, they were all there, the high priestly descent. And then it says, and notice this, when they have placed them in the center, they begin to inquire, by what power or what name, Onama, have you done this? What name have you done this? Also, remember in the, the um, uh, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, which records, God said, or they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to the heaven and let us make a name for ourselves. Yes. Let us. What does that mean? Mean they all want to be called um, Abraham or all want to be called, you know, Steinberg? No. Let us make an authority so we're all, you know, in, under the same name so we can. Uh, so when we be scattered abroad to the face of the earth. So clearly he doesn't have a clue what the word name means. When, look, when David met um, Goliath, he says, you come to me with spear, javelin, and sword, 1 Samuel 17, 45. And David says, I come in the name of Yahweh. Was he claiming that his name was actually Yahweh? Mm. You know? Yep. So, you know, that's, that's the point there in the word name. And why it's singular is because there's only one, one God, one yeah. being. Why would it be plural? We're not Mormons here. Why would he say in the names? That would just support uh, polytheism there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, quickly, one last point I would like to make, too, is when he brings in the text from John about uh, water and spirit, I think we should interpret the Scripture uh, in light of the Scripture. Um, and so I, I think what I would want to do is when you see Jesus speaking to a Jewish rabbi, uh, a, a, a teacher and a Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus, I, I would want to think in their context. And so when Jesus is referring to water and spirit, I would want to ask the question, has, has that ever been used before in any kind of biblical context? And lo and behold, yes, Ezekiel 36. It talks about sprinkling clean water on them and putting a spirit within them so, to cause them to observe his statutes. And so I would point to that. I think Marcus Rogers there is trying to point that in some way to water baptism. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and uh, that's a that's a great discussion to have. So I think yeah. that's probably good for real, now. Real quickly, we have to just, wrap up. I know we got to wrap up. His analogy, because I've heard him use this more than once, does not work of I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm a soldier. Because yep. Oz and I were talking about this last week. In order to be a father, you have to have a son. In order to be a son, you have to have a father. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't his, that analogy does not work for his definition logically of God. Why? 
yeah, just there's all kinds of confusion there, and that's a popular thing people do. Even even people um, who are Christians, they try to explain the Trinity. They explain it with modalistic um, analogies and metaphors, and so that's a that's a dangerous game to play. Uh, Doctor Delcor, thank you so much, brother. Uh, I know we there's a few minutes left on this. Maybe we'll try to get to another time, but uh, we got to wrap up for now, uh, brother. ChristianDefense.org. Yes, and I have a we're, we're we have offering the fourth edition of Oneness Pentecostals about Oneness theology. Fantastic, the- guys, go over and get that book. It is uh, it's worth its weight in gold. And uh, oh, we got Mister Rogers playing in the background. <laughs> Doctor Dalcor, I love you, brother. Thank you, love and you. look forward to having you on again, brother. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, Bye. guys, we will be back right after this break. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Hey Alex, is your marriage hard? Yeah Chris, it is. But like climbing a mountain, it's hard going up, but once you're at the top, it's beautiful. I wish there were a place where people would talk about marriage and the gospel. Wait, there is our podcast, The Rugged Marriage. I really feel like I should have known that. Yeah, recording a commercial has a way of bringing on amnesia. Well, check out The Rugged Marriage on iTunes and Stitcher. Reform your theology, reform your marriage. And buy your wife some tulips. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E, F-I-E-L-D dot E-D-U. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Show How about ever. you, Austin? Oh yeah, that's Joy, the one. Joy, are you on the show right now? You don't have your headphones on. I don't have my headphones on because I'm on Luke's mic oh. and Luke's headphones, and loud? I can actually hear everything without the headphones on because yep. it's so loud. Yep, yep. So back I'm at Apologia Radio, ApologiaRadio.com, guys. Uh, we had to let Dr. Dalcour go, and uh, we're back right now in the studio. A little longer, a little bit of time has passed, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how much, but it's been a lot, actually. <laughs> long enough for there to be a shrimp long dinner in Jeff's car. Like the yomes in uh, Genesis, literally 24-hour periods have passed. <laughs> we remember we had to actually pick up and do the last uh, last segment here, so we're going to do that right now. Enjoy the girls here. Luke is actually gone right now doing some ministry, and uh, Marcus Pittman on the ones and twos. I'm here. And uh, let's let's finish up the video. And then uh, we'll let y'all go. So encourage you guys though to uh, share share this episode in particular because the content 
the things that we're talking about, vitally important for Christians to understand, to get... When you have a man like Marcus Rogers who operates from uh, within the Christian church in terms of Marcus Rogers, uh, what, what what's what's up? You didn't introduce me. <laughs> did I not introduce you? Oh, you didn't introduce me. Wait, I wow. thought I totally did. You didn't. I'm so No, wrong. you definitely didn't. You know what it was is I was looking over at you and you mm-hmm. and I were like going with the beads and right. everything and I was just like, I was we were together. Obviously, we were here having here. a good time. I'm so this sorry. Clearly I'm here. so sorry. I thought I said, okay, so Austin... Is also here, and uh, typical intern problems. I'm so sorry, man. Actually, you're moving past intern now. Officially, you got some stuff happening right. with Apologia Studios right now that everybody else will get to see what Austin actually looks like. Uh, what's Luke called you? Stone Cold. Stone He's Cold been Austin? calling me uh, Cold, Cold Stone. Stone. Cold Stone. Cold Stone. Austin. Stone Steve like ice cream or something. I don't know. Luke like likes ice cream. Do you like ice cream? I love ice cream. Okay, all right. <laughs> Just want to make sure. Hey, Joy, what do you, by the way, what do you think of my shirt right now? My shirt. I love it. It's a Jaws shirt. It's the, orig- it's the actual original like Jaws picture from the original Jaws number one. Yeah. But instead of a Jaws, like a shark coming up out of the water, it's a kitty cat. It is. And there's a mouse on top of the water instead of a girl. It's got some wicked teeth, too. Yeah. And yeah. then... The most important part of the shirt that he didn't say is I didn't say it. It says pause. That's right. That's right. And uh, I was waiting for him to get to that point. I didn't think it was going to go. I, I, he was like skipping right days. over that. It's been a long couple of yomes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. So um, we want to finish this up. It's vitally important to get this stuff because this touches to the central aspect of our faith, and that is the God that we worship. When you have a man like Marcus Rogers who purports to be operating from within the Christian communion, you have a man who is very, very dangerous and uh, deadly to uh, the faith of a lot of people. And so uh, why bother with a man like this who clearly hasn't spent time, hasn't spent time understanding these issues? Why bother? Well, to be honest with you, it's because uh, taking a look at the man, taking a look at some of uh, his view counts and things like that, people that share his stuff. There's a lot of people that listen to this gentleman and uh, a lot of people that share his stuff. And so maybe they're unaware, most of them, of what this man teaches and uh, what he stands for and the God that he worships. And so I want to make sure that as um, as believers, we offer a refutation of his theology and we offer help to those who maybe are new believers that just don't know so just quickly i want to point you guys to a great book uh it is uh, written by dr james white it's called the forgotten trinity uh it's great so if you want to study the trinity i'd point you there i'd also point you to our youtube channel apologia studios on youtube you guys can watch videos that we've done on the trinity you can actually listen to us engaging with the cults and defending the biblical view of um, the Trinity uh, before the cults outside of Mormon temples and uh, different uh, scenarios. So those are all up right now at ApologiaStudios.com. You can also, of course, go to ApologiaRadio.com, sign up for all access and get uh, the full spectrum uh, of the biblical worldview defended and taught. Um, And uh, coming soon, again, we're going to be having the NSA lectures going up and you guys will be able to learn a whole lot more. And so let's go ahead and get right back into it, guys. I think we're going to start about where we left off. This is Marcus Rogers' video on YouTube. Uh, His channel name is Marcus Rogers, and the video title is Marcus Rogers on Dr. White. Here we go. We will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. And when you go and you stand before the throne, when it's all said and done, you're not- Just quickly, I want to say uh, what you'll notice is that when these uh, religions um, that ape Christianity or cults that ape Christianity, 
um, engaging conversation. They often uh, co-opt our terminology and language, and especially deadly is a man like this spiritually, and his uh, theology is deadly because he'll say something like, Jesus is God in the flesh. And you might want to say, with maybe some mere Christianity type folks, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he's affirming the deity of Jesus. I mean, so is it, you know, really, really matter that he gets the Trinity wrong? Can anybody really comprehend fully the Trinity? Well, I want to say this, like Mormons affirm the deity of Christ. They didn't used to 20 years ago, like to say outright, at least on, not on the street, Jesus is God because they wanted to differentiate between uh, the father that they really worship. And then Jesus, who is a uh, spiritual, uh, the, the, the offspring of, Elohim and one of his goddess wives, but they will affirm as his deity. Let's say he's a God. There are three gods of this earth, Joseph Smith taught in history of the church, uh, many other gods outside of that, but they will affirm his essential deity as a God, not eternal, eternally existent God, uh, but a God. So this man's in particular deadly because he says things that actually resonate with Christians. When you say things like Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and Christians go, well, does it really matter? Yeah, it matters because Jesus, um, when he talked about God, he said that there's only one God, one eternal God. He calls the Father God. The Bible calls Jesus God. Jesus actually says in John chapter 8, unless you, unless you uh, believe that ego a me, you will die in your sins. Jesus received worship. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus took the prerogatives that only God can take. Uh, Jesus is called our great God and Savior in the Bible. Jesus is God. But in John chapter 1, Jesus is uh, referred to as the eternal God. Uh, always existent alongside the Father, an intimate relationship with the Father, John chapter 1, verse 1. And so it's just important to get behind the basic general statements that somebody will make about Jesus Christ being God and to ask more definitional questions because the Bible says there's only one God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him, through him. And so it's important that we have the correct Jesus Christ. And Marcus Rogers your Christ is not the biblical Christ, and these things are essentials of the faith. I want to just say, look, you know, Austin and Marcus, uh, they they believe in infant baptism. I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> not just that's good. They, that's good. They, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, they they. Me too. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. No, not in the way that you think I am. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny they, because I think the Baptists and the Presbyterians think they're changing one another yeah yeah at least from what i've heard yeah that's well my... and here's the thing look uh you know like here we are apologia uh, church and we have apologia studios our outreach ministry and we have you know differences of opinion even like in the studio right now in terms of like infant baptism and those are important debates of course they're important discussions to have but here's the deal those are issues that you know what i'll be straight i'll just be honest with marcus and i uh how long it's been over a year now and yeah, I think so. it doesn't come up it doesn't really come up and if it comes up... That's because every time I bring it up, you ignore me and walk what? away. <laughs> that does not happen. <laughs> um, no, no. Wait, like, we can have those discussions. We can, they can be serious discussions. But these are not things that are going to divide us as brothers in the Lord. They're not going to divide us because um, uh, they're not issues as central as the God that we worship and the gospel that we believe in. And so they're important. I acknowledge that. Very important. There's consequences to what we believe. But here's the thing. Those aren't things that are going to separate us as brothers and sisters in Christ. This issue with Marcus Rogers. This is a gospel issue. This is an issue of eternal death or eternal life. Going to see anyone but Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. Marcus, why is this important? Because if you've been back. Ex 
except in those specific places in the Bible where it actually gives you like the throne room scene and you have thrones, plural, uh, Daniel chapter 7, and where you have in Revelation chapter 5, the Father and Jesus being worshipped by those there. So what do we do with those, Marcus? Do we pretend like those don't exist? Do we try to create a system that's consistent with our own way of thinking? Do we try to create a God of our own understanding because we just can't quite comprehend how one eternal God can exist eternally as three co-equal and co-eternal persons? Do you just say, well, it doesn't make sense to me, so it's just Jesus. This is important stuff, and I think we need to let the Bible be our guide here and not our own human understanding and they put you down in the water and they said I baptize you in the name of the Father of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and they dunked you you were baptized incorrect it says that okay so I would be baptized incorrectly if I listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 in verse 18 and on where he says and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So if I actually obeyed Jesus there and did as he says to do, I would be baptizing incorrectly. I would have been baptized incorrectly. And again, we've addressed this a little earlier in the episode, but when you listen to men like Marcus Rogers contradict Jesus so blatantly, it makes it very, very obvious um, where he stands in terms of his relationship with God. And that's where this really has to rest, by the way, brothers and sisters, it has to rest there. It cannot rest in zeal. It cannot rest in mere appearances. It cannot rest in signs and wonders and miracles and, and all those things. It has to rest in what does this man say about God? That's where, that's where it has to stand be baptized in the name so how you should be getting baptized is i baptize you in the name of jesus except what jesus says in matthew 18 something different now of course we can go to those texts and we can do an entire show on those texts in the book of acts uh that speak to baptizing in the name of jesus but then we'd have to put them in the full context of the entire scriptures and of course in the context of what jesus says before his ascension his his last words to the apostles before he ascends where he actually tells us to do it in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit now watch what what happens here is somebody he he's gonna he's gonna say though but it's just jesus and what do you have here it's the assumption of unitarianism he has a presuppositional commitment to unitarianism and so that actually forces him to move his way through the scriptures with the constant assumption of unitarianism and that's the very thing that you need to challenge you guys have anything you want to say, by the way? Austin. Not yet. Marcus. Okay, here we go. You guys let me know if you want to say something. I'll, I'll push stop. Then you come up because Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a, t- a name. Those are manifestations of God. There it is. Yeah. How, do you, you? Deal, how do you deal with personhood yeah. at all? Yeah, exactly. You have to deal with the persons. Exactly. Now watch, just let's address that for a moment now, okay? The different persons and... Um, uh, Let's go that route, but we need to also point to the fact that, did you catch it a moment ago? Did you see it again? The assumption of Unitarianism. 
It's just it's just it's just taken for granted the assumption Unitarianism. Right. But that's the thing that's being challenged, and, and the way that you need to challenge it is go to any of the number of passages where you have the Father speaking to the Son, the Son speaking to the Father. Um, and again, where where do you even begin this discussion? You want to start in you want to start in the beginning of the Bible? You want to start at the end of the Bible, moving right back? Where do you want to go? Because you can look at say Hebrews chapter one. And you can see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Did you catch that? Through whom also he created the world. Manifestations? Jesus is just simply a manifestation of God? Well, then what's this text doing there? Through whom he created the world? That, that seems to go farther back than the incarnation. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, now there's more though, because, because what, what, does, what does it say further down in Hebrews? And you all, I hope you know where I'm going with this because it's vitally important to get. And what, what he says here in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And again, when he, the Father, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Here's the Father, according to Hebrews chapter 1, saying, let all God's angels worship him, Jesus. All the, to, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now watch. But of the Son, he says, the Father says of the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And watch what the Father is saying to the Son. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment like a robe you will roll them up like a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years will have no end so you think about the text in hebrews chapter one the father is calling the son god saying his throne is forever and ever the son's throne is forever and ever and you the father says to jesus you lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning manifestation jesus is simply a manifestation of god the holy spirit simply a manifestation of god i mean consider just for a moment manifestation jesus calling the father god talking to the father the father calling jesus god the father talking to the son and then you have jesus in john chapter 14 saying of the holy spirit the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will convict the world of sin and righteousness. Did you see? The, the Bible shows a distinction of persons, not simply manifestations. Like an evolution of God or something. Like goes from the Father, then it goes to the Son, then it goes to the Holy Spirit. Right. In, in, in uh, Unitarian thought. Yeah but, yeah, but even with that, it, it completely profanes the deity of Christ. Because at what point did, did God the Father become a father? Mm. I mean, did, he, did Jesus not exist eternally? So did... Jesus started existing when he was incarnate, right? Well, that, and that's the point. Yes, yeah. So when and so did the that's, sun start? And that, that's the point. And that's that's the the the, the error and the heresy of, of modalism and modalistic thought, yep. Unitarianism. These the, the, this thought cannot um, consistently hold together the revelation of God concerning 
the Trinity, uh, God's persons. And what happens is, is when you blow apart the Trinity, you do more than, um, than, than, than disrupt the biblical view of the persons and the God that you worship. You actually also remove from us the philosophical ability um, to demonstrate the one and the many. Now, this is might be, might be a, a discussion that maybe might go over someone's head initially, but trust me, in the area of philosophy, when you try to talk about distinctions and um, the one and the many, which has been a problem in philosophy for, goodness gracious, 2,000 years. I mean, these are, these are things people like Plato's trying to figure this thing out. How do I, how do I have categories and distinctions but unity? Um, I, by the way, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys that don't, just you need to study some Bonson and some Van Til on this. Um, but when you say something, when you say duck in the world, when you say duck, um, you need to be able to have a philosophical system that can actually explain duckness, the one and the many. So, for, for example, the unbeliever who has an atomistic worldview and philosophy that has no ability to have universals, universal abstract thought, right? The unbeliever has what? Matter in motion, has the brain chemistry simply firing a biochemical responses. The unbeliever can basically look at the world and he can see a duck and go, duck. But there's no ability now to have duckness because there's no universals in the unbeliever's worldview. They cannot basically give you a class and a universal idea. Now, again, some of you guys are like, that's way over my head, didn't know how we got here. But trust me, the Trinity, and we can do these discussions maybe in a later episode of Apologia Radio, the triune God of the Scriptures is the foundation for the one and the many to be able to have universals at all and consistency, conformity together. And so, believe me, when you destroy the Trinity, you don't just um, move people away from the biblical God. You also disrupt all human predication and human thought. And so the Trinity is not simply this just doctrine over here that hangs all the way over here by itself. You destroy the Trinity, you point people to a a false God. You destroy the Trinity, you can't do predication. You can't talk about the one and the many. You destroy the Trinity, you destroy God's redemptive plan. In the scriptures, it's the Father who sends the Son. The Son who voluntarily lays his life down for the elect and provides a perfect sacrifice. The Holy Spirit who comes in and perfectly applies that salvation, that redemption to God's people. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together to bring about God's plan of redemption and salvation for God's people. You disrupt the entire narrative of the Bible. You disrupt biblical faith. You destroy and shipwreck people's faiths when you destroy or come against the doctrine of the Trinity. And philosophically speaking, we could do a whole show on this. You destroy the Trinity, attempt to come against it, and you also destroy our ability to do human thought. And so, let's move on. Now people, they're gonna get in the comments of this video and they're gonna say all the same things. Well, who was Jesus praying to? Understand that God, if he cracked the sky right now, and he, understand he's outside of time and space. This earth cannot contain him in his full glory. If he just cracked the sky and just came down, this earth would be destroyed. We cannot handle God in his full glory. I had a vision of God one time. But how does that explain anything? This is just rambling and ranting. It doesn't address the issues. It's Again, it's zeal without knowledge. It's a lot of zeal without knowledge and without wisdom. And uh, it doesn't respond to the issues that need to be responded to. And so that's why this is so important because a person like... And this is the thing, guys. Listen, I, I know we live in a time period today where, you know, 
we put videos up sometimes on YouTube because we're like, this is really help people, but we even have to break them up. You know why we have to break them up at times? Because the, we recognize the culture that we live in at times. If you drop an hour long, an hour and 40 minute long video, the chances of, of people actually seeing that and sharing that are really minimal because not everybody likes to think for a long period of time in our culture. We don't like to sit down and sit through like a message that's an hour long because we're the soundbite culture. Like we want to just kind of get it, microwave it, get it to me quickly, give me the soundbite, give me the four minute video, let me share the viral video that's 30 seconds long. I don't want to do a lot of critical thinking. <clears throat> and, um, and so we, I think we like oftentimes the person that gives us the motivational speech and the excitement. We actually tend to lean towards that rather than critical thought in our culture. We, we like the person that has just the 30-second mic drop versus the person that has the two-hour-long consistent exegesis and explanation. We're the microwave generation, right? We like it quick. We like it easy. And a guy like Marcus Rogers doesn't provide any meaningful answers. It's just a lot of zeal without knowledge. Joel, you got something? No? Okay, I thought you I mean, that. I do. I'm <laughs> formulating an idea. Okay, got it. But... And it, it was just so bright and all I could see was the feet of God and I could barely, barely stand it. He says that he had a vision of God yep. and where he saw the feet of God and he couldn't stand it. Well, and keep in mind that while he's saying this, he's addressing the question, who was Jesus praying to in the garden? Right. Like, how did we get here? Right. Why yeah. are we even talking about this? Yep, exactly. There you go. All right, God is so awesome, so amazing. We can never fully understand and comprehend, but what we can do is read the word of God. Notice that when I read this, I didn't add anything to it. False. Yep. You notice when I read this, I didn't add anything to it? Uh, utterly and undeniably false. This is a 12 minute and 48 second long video. You've been adding to it constantly. You have not simply read the text. And besides, you know, here's the thing. Yes, we have to go to texts to actually substantiate our position, of course, granted. But here's the thing. You cannot simply proof text and say, well, here's a verse that says that. So it proves it right there. You've got to be able to show that that's consistent with his context, that it's consistent with what's ahead of it and below it, that it's consistent with the entire narrative of the scriptures. You can't just simply whip a verse out and say, well, this says, this says that. So, Because um, like I said, as I said earlier in this episode, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I hope nobody's just flipping that verse out at people. Well, and also you just don't read any books like that. Right. None of them. Right. Like, there's always a context. You just don't. Right. Like, it just doesn't happen like that. Exactly. And, and again, uh, yes, Marcus, you absolutely are adding to it. You are giving your explanation. Well, and giving, providing a context and like, Hermeneutics is not adding to the Bible. Right. It's I, so when he says that when he says that those two are the same things, that's not true. Like he, what he's doing is he's taking like deep study of the Bible, hermeneutics, essentially transmission of the text. Yeah. And he's saying that what that means is adding to the Bible. And so in his videos, he just keeps pounding that definition, but that's not actually right. The definition of what it is. Yeah, the Bible does have to be explained. That's not a. It's not a sin to explain Scripture. Right. <laughs> That's what teachers are for. And again, uh, once again, it says in the Bible, "Let not many of you be teachers; you'll incur the stricter judgment." And that ought to be something that uh, causes all of us to have a uh, fear of God. 
I have that fear every time I prepare a sermon. I have that fear every time I go up to preach the word of God is to ask God, please guard my mouth and my mind. Don't let me communicate error. I want to be faithful. And so I recognize that uh, when I go stand before Jesus as a forgiven person, that uh, I will have to answer for things that I said that were not true. Now, of course, that's not to condemnation and wrath, but it's for reward or lack of reward. I understand that. And what people need to understand, especially false teachers like Marcus Rogers, is that he will have to answer for all this false teaching. And so it's worth, listen, it's worth doing an internal critique of yourself to say, am I right? And being willing to be wrong so that you don't have to stand before God to be corrected. It's better to be corrected by men than to stand before God and be in error. People are going to get in the comments, a lot of people who believe in the Trinity, and they're going to get on and they're going to add on the verses. And they're going to say, well, just like the devil. Look at um, when he was talking to Eve in the garden. God said, you will surely die. And all the devil did was add one little word. He said, you will not surely die. Just to twist the truth. Well, actually, that's, that's not where the twist of truth really happened. That was the contradiction. That's where the devil contradicted God. Uh, but if you read the text of Genesis chapter 3, the deception that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, his craftiness, uh, really came another way. That was where the devil contradicted God. You will not surely die. But really, if you read Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And Paul refers to that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he refers to the craftiness of Satan. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now watch, that's the craftiness. That's the deceptive nature. Because God had actually said what? You can eat of any tree of the garden except for this one. So that's the craftiness. And so Satan actually, this is where he twists it. He says, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Really the craftiness there, the deception the devil engaged in there is, watch, where he takes something God said and he, in a very crafty way, manipulates it. And he twists it in a way to where it looks kind of the same, but it's just far enough off where deception is allowed. See, sometimes watch, it's, and you know, why, why harp on this, Jeff? Because the point, the point that he was making about the devil twisting was actually where the devil just flat and outright contradicts God, right? You will not die. God says you will die. But the craftiness that Satan uses is where he actually takes the word of God and he manipulates it in such a way as to make it sound kind of the same. You get that? Not just a flat contradiction. It's, it's saying things like, Jesus is God in the flesh, man, but he's really only a manifestation. He didn't eternally exist alongside the Father, but he is God in the flesh. See, I'm, I'm Orthodox. I say Jesus is God. I affirm his deity, but he's not lived and existed alongside the Father for all eternity. That's where the craftiness comes in. And that, my friend, is demonic. I read the word of God for what it says and everything else comes through a revelation through the Holy Spirit. There's some things that you're going to be like, well, that kind of looks like it doesn't make sense or that's a compromise. There's a problem with what he's saying there. What's the problem? Oh, what does it say? What does Peter say? Peter says what about the Holy Spirit and revelation? He says that holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So watch. If you say, well, some of this comes from the Bible and some of it comes from personal revelation of the Holy Spirit. Don't you understand that a biblical view of revelation understands that those are one and the same? 
any revelation from the Holy Spirit of God is going to be the same as the revelation from the Holy Spirit of God in the scriptures. You guys got to grab hold of that. It's a big one right there because that comes up with Mormons too. They'll say, listen, you need to get a revelation from God, a burning in your bosom. You need to pray about this and have a private revelation between you and God. Well, what I always say to Mormons, and I would say to Marcus Rogers as well, is that your private revelation from the Holy Spirit of God, this burning in your bosom or this experience that you've had, this revelation, cannot contradict what the Holy Spirit of God revealed through his prophets and his servants. Peter says it. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the test is not Marcus Rogers' experience or revelation or yours. The test is in what God actually spoke, what's in Scripture, God's revealed word. All right, but if you if you believe what I believe, that there's only one God and it's Jesus and that he can manifest himself in the Holy Spirit and he can manifest himself and be everywhere and all the time and do whatever he wants to do, it doesn't contradict the Scripture. But if you believe what the Trinity says, it contradicts the Scripture that I showed you right here. Look up the Trinitarian chart. I want to remind you real quickly, I think the most simple and easiest way, you know, if you've got an open mind to see it, once again, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after, don't you know me, Dr. White? Even after I've been among you such a long time, all the studying, all the Bible reading you've done, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It doesn't say you've seen, you're seeing attributes of the Father. It says if you've seen me, singular, you've seen the Father. Hey, God bless you. Some people. Now we, again, we're not going to rehash that again. We've already addressed that earlier on in the episode, but let's go ahead and move forward. Take this video and be like, hey, this guy's crazy. This guy's a heretic. Hey, I don't hate it. I don't think you're crazy. I think you're a heretic and I think you're a false teacher. Um, I wouldn't want to attack your person and character, but I, I do want to point to your false teaching. Anybody. I love Jesus, man. People don't know what I've been through. People don't know the, the, the things that God has brought me through. Man, since I was a child, prophecy has been fulfilled in my life over and over and over again. Every time I wanted to give up, every time I want to quit, I know that God is with me. I've laid hands on the sick and they've recovered. I've seen miracles. I've seen signs and wonders. That's why it's not because I'm arrogant. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You should not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And so it's not the signs and wonders it's not your experience. It's not the miracles that you've accomplished. It's not that. The Bible actually explicitly speaks against that as any kind of a standard for Christians, for God's people. The Bible says this, you're to fear him, hold fast to his commandments, his word. What's the standard? It's what God has already revealed. It's his word. It's not these miraculous signs, these visions, your experience. But I'm not going to let anybody steal what I have with God. I'm not going to let nobody steal my joy. I'm not going to let nobody steal my calling. I'm going to keep on going in Jesus' name. I'm going to keep on pressing forward in Jesus' name with the revelation that he's given me in the word of God. And no man can take uh, stop that. And you can say whatever you want to say. I'm going to tell you, be careful. The Bible says, touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. Some of you talk so crazy. Some of you put your mouth on me and you lie on me in such a bad way. But remember Elisha and the, the bears and the, uh, the young boys boys who spoke against a man be warned wow that's serious business 
It, it really, really is. And, you know, it's tremendous because um, touching on God's anointed, this, this is something that false teachers often point to. They often point to texts like this to try to cause fear in people. Like, don't, don't speak against me. Don't come and criticize me because touch not God's anointed. Remember Elijah with the bear? Remember those, those, remember those, uh, those young men? Remember, remember them? Uh, remember what happened to them? Don't come against me. And I want to say that the word of God actually commands us to test the spirit. It commands us to hold fast that which is true. It commands us to test men like Marcus Rogers to come and see, is what you're saying consistent with what God said? That's the test. And uh, Marcus, I want to say with respect to you, if you ever get a chance to hear this, um, nobody um, with the Bible in their hand should be afraid to critique your views. Uh, your views are anti-scriptural. They are heretical. They are condemning to anybody who affirms them and holds to them. And so, yes, it's important for Christians to actually engage with what you're saying. And so there you go, guys. I think that's about the end of the video. Marcus Rogers, we spent about two, two episodes talking about this because they're relevant and important and we think it'll bless the people of God to do it. So, Austin, thanks, brother. Thank you. For hanging out today. Enjoy the girl. Hey, guys. She's working hard right now. Act, and, and right now, as we speak, Joy's got a schedule in front of her and she's scheduling stuff for Apologia Studios. You guys are about to get a bunch of new things and some really cool content, some cool stuff with uh, Marcus and uh, Austin, some cool stuff with Austin and Gabe. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you about it yet. I'm just going to tell you to keep watching Apologia Studios for it. want to encourage you again to please sign up for all access and get all of the additional content, the TV shows. Check it out. We just did a show with Ray Comfort on his, what's it called, Marcus? Is it called The God Delusion or The Atheist Delusion? The Atheist Delusion. The Atheist Delusion. Uh, I had a blasty blast talking to Ray Comfort. It was a great show. It was a great show. It was awesome. And the after show, he tells us some inside information of what took place between him and Penn Jillette and um, uh, atheist physicist from ASU, Lawrence Krauss. It was really, really great. If you want to see that show, it is on the NRB Network uh, three times a week, Apologia TV, but you can watch it right away at ApologiaRadio.com by becoming All Access, and you're going you're gonna to get all of the Apologia Academies. This stuff from NSA is coming up. You're also going to get the uh, Pastors on the Couch, and you support the life and ministry and work of Apologia Church to get the gospel into the world, to the ends of the earth. All right, guys. Marcus Pittman, thanks for all you do, brother. No problem. Catch you guys next week on ApologiaRadio.com.